Hello and welcome to BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela. Last time, I spoke with Title IX Director Tiffany Turley about how BYU has changed the way it handles sexual assault cases. Today, we're going to hear about one student's negative experience with Title IX that took place before these changes were made. The student we're hearing from, who I'll call Michael, was harassed several times in the men's locker room on campus. Following his harassment, he went to the Title IX office hoping that they could enact some structural change, and he left disappointed. He had such a negative experience that he ultimately decided to transfer from BYU to the University of Utah. Michael does explain his harassment in detail, so as always, I want to give a trigger and content warning. Also, Michael's name has been changed to protect his privacy. I want to let you know as well that we had to record this interview on a phone, so you will hear some white noise in the background. Here's Michael. So, um, I... There were kind of like phases of it, right? Because it happened multiple times. Um, and that's why it was kind of so creepy and stalkery, because it like it was kind of like he was seeking me out. Um, the... The first time that it happened was in the spring, and um, I had been working out at the BYU gym for months, like since I started in the winter semester, and nothing had ever really happened. Um, and then I head into the locker room to shower like I normally did after my workout, because I worked out in the middle of the day and didn't want to show up some beauty classes, right? Show up to shower, um, go in, everything was normal, but as I walk into the shower, I see that this guy has an erection. And at first I was like, okay, you know, like, it's an open shower, sure, there's going to be people that, you know, whatever, whatever his business is, it's his business, and that, you know, it doesn't matter to me, I'll just shower and get out and get out quick. But then I started to realize that it wasn't just, um, the, like, it wasn't just a little thing, or what, you know, it wasn't just an accident, um, and just that he was alone in the shower at the time, but that he was waiting there for other people to come in and to try and get them to engage in sexual activity with him because he made it very clear through hand gestures and body motions and other things that that was his intent. And um, I, that made me super uncomfortable, of course, right? Like I felt targeted and attacked and it was just me and him. And so that was even more strange and I still needed to shower, but so that's like what kept me there. And also some weird curiosity kept me there too, which after the fact was also a negative emotion because I thought, why the heck was I even curious, you know, like should have mm-hmm. just ran right out of there. But, um, I, yeah, it was just a, a weird moment, but I thought, okay, like, that was a, a one-time thing, and nothing happened, right? Like, I, I was just standing there showering and, and felt attacked. Um, so you just kind of tried to ignore it? Tried to yeah. ignore it, yeah, but it was still going on, and he was very persistent the entire time, and so I felt um, more and more uncomfortable, but as time went on, it was less shock and uncomfortableness and the curiosity was more there, right? You know, Mm because you just become more comfortable in the situation. But I didn't, yeah, nothing happened. And uh, I left the shower and thought, okay, that was really strange. And I feel um, weird and attacked and and guilty and shame in some ways too for my curiosity, but it won't happen again and I probably won't see that guy ever, right? So that was just like one time deal, move on. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, uh, like a few weeks later, one or two, I don't even remember how long, 
who was still going to the gym and still using the locker room because I thought it was just a one-time weird situation. Um, but he was in the locker room again when I went to go shower. And that time, luckily, it didn't work out that we showered at the same time because he'd already showered or he was just hanging out in the locker room because he's a creeper, I don't know what. But he, I had already showered and I was leaving and he saw me. And even though we weren't in the shower, he tried to get my attention to like call me over to come talk to him or to do something. And, and luckily I was leaving at that time. So I just pretended like I didn't see him and walked out. But it made me concerned that he, one, recognized me from, you know, two weeks after the fact and still knew who I was and was trying to again and see stuff with me. And two, freaking out that I saw him again. But it wasn't a one-time thing. And that got me a little bit more worried. But again, I still didn't think it was a big enough deal for to be stalker-like or anything else. And so I just kind of let it go. But then another week or two goes by and I am in the gym working out on campus at BYU and he comes in for a workout. Um, and I recognized him at this point, obviously, because I knew who he was and he recognized me as well. And uh, it became very creepy when he changed his workout routine once he noticed me to work out next to me all the time and to make suggestive gestures even in the gym space. And um, that was uncomfortable and I didn't know what to think. and I. Tried to just keep working out and ignoring it, thinking that he would leave eventually, and he did. But were there other people in the gym as there well? There were other people in the gym, yeah. His his suggestions were not overt enough to make anyone else uncomfortable, I think, and mm-hmm. I don't think anybody else noticed it, but um, just when he would see me glance over or my, you know, I'd be kind of facing towards him and nobody else was really looking or there weren't as many people around, then he would kind of like, you know, really stare at me or at me. Just weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he um, made his intentions clear again, but then he left, and I thought that was the end of that. Hoped it was the end of that. But I went down to the locker room afterwards to shower, as I normally did, and he had waited for me for like a good 20 or 30 minutes as I was finishing my workout and was there, like, standing in his towel, ready to shower, like he literally was just waiting. And uh, he had a full view of the shower so that he could see who went in and who went out. And when he saw me go in, he came in immediately after and uh, immediately started suggesting things again and um, was very forward. And uh, I, that time, even though I hadn't spoken to him, I hadn't really said anything, hadn't done anything up to that point, uh, I told him, hey, this isn't cool, stop it. And he laughed a little bit smiled and immediately left the shower and so it was nice to be able to vocalize that and to stop it and to be able to put an end to it right then um, but still really disturbed me that he was so dedicated to making something happen that I thought I had already tried to stop and make it clear that I didn't want to be part of another time when I went into the shower and somebody different a completely different guy did the same thing and to th- this this time it was to a lesser extent but it was just him and I in the shower again, and he didn't get an erection or anything, and he was much less overt about it, but I just felt like he was um, staring at me a lot more than is normal. You know, they're open showers, which is weird enough, because, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you, you expect some form of eye contact because it's open, and you're just all there, but he was, it was too much for him, and so I think once I had this experience with this other guy, I started noticing other people that were doing the same thing, and um, I quickly realized that besides this first guy, who really was the stalker, there was guy number two, and then three, and number four. All there were four people total in end that I noticed to varying degrees were 
seemed to be using the locker room and the shower space especially as places to um, either ogle other men because that's what they're into or to try and get other people to engage in some sort of sexual activity and so it was just a little disappointing and freaky for me to realize that that space at BYU was not safe and um, that people were using it for that purpose and somehow succeeding obviously because if not just one person but multiple people are doing it then there has to be some, I don't know, some return, some benefits, some award that they feel like they get. So, uh, so it was concerning and weird, and again, all the different things of curiosity or stress and same guilt happened, and um, it was after that point when I, uh, you know, told him that I didn't want him to keep doing that, that I went and talked to Title IX because my mom suggested that I did, and um, so she pulls me in, I think she could tell it was serious, and so she um, sits me down, and uh, I, um, I start explaining what had happened, and I think when I went in to talk to her, it was, it was pretty recently, I think almost like in the same day after one of these experiences had happened, and I don't remember which one, but I was riled up, and that's why I was so yeah. fired, because like, mm-hmm. it was very recent and fresh in my mind, like it just happened. Mm-hmm. So I go in, and I'm like, I think one of the first words I said was like, lady, there are predators on BYU campus and you need to stop it or something. And she was like, okay, well, thank you. She was super nice about it and, and happy. But as I explained the situation, um, she, and I didn't know this, but like Title IX, she was trying to explain that Title IX can't really do much apparently unless you want to prosecute or there's some sort of, I don't even know, something else. But she just really? kept being like, hmm. hey, well, like, do you want to prosecute? Do you want to press charges? Do you want to press charges? Do you want, like, you know, can we hunt this guy down? And I was like, well, yeah, sure, but I don't know his name. I only know what he looks like. I know nothing about him except for that I could recognize his face. So yeah. if you want to pull up the entire BYU student registry and have me look through every single <laughs> one, I can. But, like, also, how do we even know he's a BYU student? Like, mm-hmm. nobody regulates these locker rooms, so he could be any random Joe Schmo. You know, yeah. like, how, like, I... I don't want to prosecute because I don't think that's a good option. And so I kept trying to explain her from my end that what I'm coming in to do is to share with you that, hey, the locker room space on BYU campus is not safe. Can you do something about that? Can mm-hmm. you please somehow help? Like, I don't know what, but there seems to be lots of different options in my mind, like remodeling or a stricter code of enforcement so that in order to, you know, just like you need to to get into the gym, to get into the locker rooms, you have to have a BYU student ID, or, you know, like, I don't know, something, like, just to make it, like, more, just, yeah, yeah more, somehow safer, I don't know, I don't know yeah. what they could have done. Biggest thing, when definitely, When we say just, remodeling, like, how, how remodeling? Remodeling, because right now, every locker room space at BYU for the men, or, well, okay, I can't say right now, because it's been a few years, but at that point in time, 2017, the only locker room space, shower space, was open showers. Mm-hmm. And they had one, like, off in the corner shower stall for handicapped people in the Smithfield house that had a curtain. But since it was for handicapped people, like, I never really felt like I should use it because it's right. for handicapped people, mm-hmm. and so I didn't want to be that guy um, that uses the handicapped stall. And then um, in the Richards, Richards building, mm-hmm. Richards room, whatever, in that locker room, they have two curtain shower stalls, but they're also for handicapped use. And I would have felt, and still I did use them occasionally because, you know, like there were two, so I felt less bad mm-hmm. doing it if some handicapped person happened to come in and need it. Um, but also there was that whole weird thing, and this is just 
you know, me being a dumb guy, but I felt like if there's the option to have a sh like curtain stall or not, it made me less manly to feel like I had to use the curtain stall to like hide behind it, you know, like that I wasn't confident in myself for some reason. So mm. that was some weird psychological thing that like kept me or prevented me from doing that because I felt like I'd be judged, which is weird because I wouldn't have, but that was, <laughs> yeah. so that was my logic at the time. Mm -hmm. But if they were all curtain and all individual, then there wouldn't be any of that. And I think everybody would feel more comfortable. Right. And I was especially concerned when I learned that the women's locker room, apparently, and I don't know because I haven't been in there, apparently the women's locker room is individual yeah showers. and uh so just surprised me that if the women's locker room is set up that way why the men's isn't and why they don't think that's a big deal and so going in there i expected for her to hear this information to be surprised to realize that it's an issue and say okay we'll get right on that and we'll suggest a remodel or we'll do something you know mm -hmm. like we'll we'll make it more safe but she just basically said that she couldn't do that. That sorry, her only jurisdiction is to prosecute, and if you don't want to press charges on this guy and find him, then I can't help you. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, cool, thank you. Like, I guess then that'll just continue. You know, like the guy's still there. Like, it's mm -hmm. not like he. I don't know. I just it was it was frustrating, very frustrating, and um, so I left. And I think uh, I. When I knew that I was going to be transferring from BYU, I went into the honor code office kind of at the end um, to try and make one last attempt to talk to them about it too. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the head of the honor code at the point. And he was also surprised and also shocked, but he said, will you write me a letter? Like, will you email me and tell me about this experience because I need something in writing to show the people. And I was like, okay, I don't really understand why you need something in writing, but sure, I will. My bad, I have not done that yet. It's been like a year now. <laughs> and I really need to. But, um, I, uh, yeah, the honor code also was sympathetic, but um, just a little more like, oh, well, that's too bad about it. Like, write us a letter if you want, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. So sympathetic, but unhelpful, unhelpful. overall. Yeah. yeah mm. At least I felt so. I don't know. I guess I still have yet to write them a letter. And maybe if I do, then they'll get right on it. And within two years, the whole locker room system will be remodeled, right? I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe it's my fault. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah. can't totally blame yourself because yeah. I'm sure this is not, you're not the only person that that's happened to. And so the fact that you are willing to like put yourself on the line and just be like, listen, this is an issue and people weren't hearing you. That's really mm -hmm. frustrating. That's really, um, yeah, that's just, it, it probably made you feel worse about the whole experience after that rather than better. Yeah. So then, what was your process of healing from this experience? Yeah. Um, it, it was tricky. I, um, well, so like I kind of mentioned earlier, this experience was part of what contributed to my transfer to the U. Right? Yeah. And I think in some ways that transfer was a big step in healing because now like I don't know, I just I don't like I don't have to be there anymore. It was weird that after it happened and after I realized that um that BYU campus wasn't a safe spot for me because it was weird in my head, like even though it happened in the locker room, it 
it extended itself to all of BYU, you know, like mm. all of a sudden yeah. the entire campus felt tainted to me and I, I just didn't feel safe and I, you know, it just was, it was a, it was a bigger deal than just the locker room, right? Yeah. And so it was hard to, and, and too, at that point in my life, exercise was such a, like a important thing for me and I really used it for stress relief and to feel healthy and, and I really enjoyed working out a lot. And that was the only gym and the most feasible gym for me to go to because it's free for students. Yeah. So I'm not going to pay to go to a gym if uh-huh. there's one right there, you know? And so I felt like all of a sudden this important part of my life was gone because I either didn't work out or worked out at inconvenient times when I could go to the gym and immediately go home to shower afterwards hmm. rather than showering on campus. And um, living off campus, that's an ordeal because, like, for me, it just made more sense to go to campus once and to go home once rather than to go back and forth or something. And so I either had to shower at the or to work out at the end of the day and then go home and shower. I don't know. It was just this whole big thing that made it stressful. And so if I'd go to the gym, I would remember the experience and it was hard. Even sometimes on campus, I'd walk around. And I even saw the guy who was the biggest culprit that I ran into three different times in the locker room. I saw him twice on campus. Wow. Well, the time that I just saw him around it was hard. Like, I'd run into him. And we'd recognize each other, and you know, it just it was stressful all the time, like to be reminded of it constantly. Mm-hmm. So to leave was helpful. I don't have to be there anymore, and it doesn't remind me, and so it's easier to just kind of uh, let go. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing was just to um, talk about it. Talking about it really helps me yeah. and did help me, um, and to. Um, recognize it as a like a, a a learning opportunity I guess in some ways like to learn things about myself and things about other people and just to not take it as something that was like you know a sin on me you know or something that I had like done something evil or that I was evil now especially for that curiosity thought side of things that came into it that was really the biggest struggle for me mm-hmm. to come to terms with that and um, once I moved past that and understood that I think it was easier for me to let go and just be be okay with it to not let it hinder me and to yeah heal out that Title IX doesn't carry out legal investigations. Title IX focuses on carrying out investigations on students who have harassed or assaulted other students. These investigations can lead to disciplining the perpetrator within the context of the school. If you'd like to hear more information on Title IX investigations and how they differ from police investigations, listen to my episode with Tiffany Turley. Title IX does not have the power to arrest, convict, or press charges on any student in a legal sense. In the most extreme cases, investigations lead to a student being expelled from the school. But ultimately, Michael wanted more than an investigation. He wanted to change things on a systemic level. His peace of mind wouldn't have come from an investigation of people who had harassed him. It would have come from changing the way the locker room showers are set up. 
As Michael mentioned, after he went to the Title IX office, he went to the Honor Code office. He met with the director of the Honor Code office, and then he ultimately transferred because he didn't feel safe at BYU, and his concern never got addressed. And this is why it's so important for structural change to happen at BYU. As important as it is to carry out individual investigations and to bring individual students to justice, it's also important to make sure that there are structural ways to prevent the sexual assault and harassment from happening in the first place. I've done some research, but I haven't been able to find out if the men's locker rooms have changed since 2017. I don't know if they now have curtains or some other way to divide the shower stalls. What I did find is that Michael wasn't the first person to recognize this issue and complain about it. I even found a Daily Universe op-ed from 1999 about open showers being a problem. If the BYU administration had listened to students back in the 90s, then Michael probably wouldn't have been in the situation that had led to his harassment. It's structural change that will keep students in the future from experiencing the same type of harassment and assault that they're experiencing now. Thanks for listening. Next time, we're going to hear from two more students about their experiences with Title IX. One of these students brought a friend to the Title IX office, and the other student was brought to the office by a professor. Special thanks to Abner Apsley for the music. This is BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela.